Good morning. Today's reading in God's Word is the second chapter of Luke, the first 20 verses. Feel free to uh, read along in a Bible you brought yourself, or uh, find one in our pews, or just be blessed by listening. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census and to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. When they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. Father God, thank you, Lord, that, that this, the, the most important day in human history, when you, uh, you left your throne in heaven and came down to be, to be a child, to be, to be a baby, to walk this earth with us. Um, Lord, I pray that, uh, that, that people would seek you with the same desires, with the same, 
with the same urgency that the shepherds had when they immediately went to see you, Lord. Um, and I pray that, that we would seek you, not just at this time, but, Lord, throughout the year. Father God, thank you for uh, giving us this opportunity to come together and worship you in music, in the reading of your word, and the preaching of the same. Thank you for our pastor, Steve, who loves you, who loves us, and who loves your word. I pray that you would put in his heart and his mind what you would have him teach us and help us to have ears to hear and take to heart uh, what we are being taught. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Good to see you all here on this Christmas Eve. It's good that we can be together to celebrate the Lord's birth together and much more than that. The world has all kinds of ideas about what Christmas means, but what does God say? And more specifically, what does his word say? One verse, a key verse, Matthew 1, 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. A key message of Christmas is that there is a woman named Mary who miraculously became pregnant, who then gave birth to a little baby boy named Jesus. And this son of man was the son of God, that he was both God and man. It also said he was called Emmanuel. And in that, we really sum up the primary message of Christmas. That is the incarnation, God with us, so Emmanuel, God became man, so Emmanuel, God could be with us. That's really it. God became man so God could be with us. That really sums up all of our life as Christians. It's really wonderful, but there's much more to say. And really what we're looking at then is the what, that is, he became man, why, and I want to develop that. I've got seven important reasons on the why. He became man. First one is Jesus had to be both God and man to fulfill Bible prophecy. Many prophecies in God's word had to be filled by Jesus because he was the only one who could do it, because he was both God and man. I want to read just a couple of verses. In fact, you can turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, the very familiar verse at this Christmas time especially, but Isaiah 9, a wonderful verse. It covers the big picture, covers the Christ's birth till his reign. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Great verse. Indeed, we understand that this child, this child is the mighty God, and he was the one who's to be, it says there, forever, the ruler forever. And, and, and this can only be speaking of Jesus, who was indeed God and man. Turn to the book of Micah, minor prophet, chapter 5, verses 2 to 5. Micah, chapter 5, verses 2 to 5, talks again about this, this one being born and his purpose. Micah 5, verse 2, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. 
Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she was in labor, has born a child, then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain. And because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth, this one will be our peace. So here again we read of this, this, this child, this person born in Bethlehem, and it says he's eternal. This couldn't be just a man. He's eternal, and he's a king, and he's going to rule and bring peace to the ends of the earth. What man has ever brought peace to the ends of the earth? Been eternal, indeed, this speaks of Jesus Christ, both God and man. Many other prophecies about this one, we call the Messiah. Steve mentioned this before, this one who is the Messiah to be the, the, the Savior, to be the Redeemer, to be the Judge, to be the King, and to fulfill all these roles. He would have to be both God and man. And again, we're speaking of Jesus Christ. So the first point is this, is why did he have to become man? So he could fulfill prophecy that God had made. So God's word then could become true. The second one, and I talked about this some last week, but I want to share just a few more thoughts. Jesus is both God and man, so he can reveal God to mankind. God revealed himself to mankind through the creation. We understand that very clearly from Romans chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. But most importantly, God revealed himself to mankind through his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.3 says it clearly. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. Radiance is a word that means to send forth light. And Jesus then is sending forth the light and the glory of God. Think about the sun. You don't actually see the sun, do you? You see the light of the sun. You see the rays of the sun. And so too then, as the sunlight reflects the sun, Jesus Christ reflects God himself. And so therefore, when you see Jesus, you see, as it says there in Hebrews, the exact representation of his nature. You see God's power. You see his love. You see his supremacy, his authority, his holiness, his goodness and mercy, and much more. And you see his purpose. I like that one purpose verse in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the prime reason Christ came down to this earth, to take our sins away, and that was God's purpose too. They were united. They were one and the same in their purpose to bring, again, salvation to people on this earth. We continue on this theme of, of, of Christ revealing God to mankind. Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. As we know, God is invisible, but Jesus is, is, is visible, and therefore Jesus, because he's visible, can show us who God is and what he is like. And Jesus, when he was on earth, represented God perfectly by, by the words he said, by his teaching and by his miracles and by all his actions, by what he said and did, that Jesus' purpose was to, to manifest God to people on this earth, to represent God, to show forth God, to make God visible. Indeed, that's what he did. And so the way we know that God the Father simply is by knowing God the Son. That's, that's it. John the Baptist said it this way, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. That word also, that explained also translated as declared or made him known. Jesus said, and what a powerful verse here, John 14, 9. He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. The Pharisees didn't like that. A lot of people didn't like that. But that was the truth. You saw Jesus, you saw the Father. Amazing. So that was the second overall point here of, of God became man so he could reveal himself to us. 
Thirdly, and this is important, relates to what I just said from John 1, 1, 29. Jesus is both God and man so he could take our sins upon himself. That is, pay the penalty for our sins. That is, be punished by his Father so we wouldn't have to be punished. With the result, then, that God was satisfied with the justice that Jesus carried out for us. Therefore, then, those who believe in Christ, God being satisfied with what Christ did for them, God then can declare them righteous, can declare them holy, can forgive all their sins, can give them eternal life, can make them his children. That's what happens. That one, that one verse sums up so much about what happened. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, that is God made Christ, who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become righteous in Christ himself. So Jesus became a man so he could be a savior, so he could save us from our sin and from the consequences of sin, which is death, which is hell, and really the, from, from the clutches, being from the clutches of, 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 of the devil himself. First Peter 3.18 says this, I love this verse, Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so as to bring us to God. Isn't that great? Sins once for all, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God, to bring us into a relationship with God himself. The third reason, fourth reason, I mentioned this briefly before, he's both God and man, so he could be with us, so he could be with us forever. As I said before, this name of Jesus, one of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. This is a wonderful, powerful truth that God actually came down to this earth to love us, to be like us, and to live with us, and to be with us forever. This is amazing that Jesus, that God himself, actually wants to live with man. You, you think about God, all that he is in his glory and power and might, wants to live with man? That's what we're saying. That's, that's the point. To think that God would come down to our level so that we can live with him, so that we can see him, so that we can see his love, we can see his smile for us, so that we can talk to him and he can talk to us, so we can have this fellowship with him forever and ever and ever. That's what we are talking about. This is so unbelievable. This is so encouraging, amazing to understand this concept, this truth about Christmas, really about all of Christianity. Turn to John 14. John chapter 14, we looked at these verses last time, but it's important that we see this clearly. Two sections of verses in John 14 to convey two, two different, really one thought, but stayed in two ways. John 14, verses 16 to 18. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What he's saying in verse 18 is that Jesus is now with us through the Holy Spirit. That's what we're saying. Christ is in us through the Holy Spirit. But then we go to the first three verses of this chapter, John 14, 1 to 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Again, Christ wanting to be with us. First, we see it through the Spirit. Second, we see that it's through 
himself being with us. And, and so during this church age, Christ is with us through the Spirit. But then, and soon enough, won't be long from now, when Christ will come back to this earth. And then we will perfectly and forever be with Christ in heaven and on earth. That's what's going to happen. Revelation 20, which you're not going to look at, talks a lot more about that. So that's the fourth point. The fifth point, Jesus is both God and man, so he can be an example to us. Matthew 5.48, very, very strong uh, command, says that we're to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. We all know we'll never make it, but we should strive for that. We are to be perfect. Ephesians 5.2 says that we are to imitate God, and since Jesus is God, then we can be like God by looking to Jesus, by looking at his life, by learning from him, by reading the gospel, seeing what he said, seeing what he did. And so we need examples. As people, we need examples. And the best single example that we have of how to live the Christian life is Jesus Christ himself. So that's the next reason that Jesus became man. The sixth one, which I'm going to develop a little bit more and take some time on, is one that's not talked about very much, but I feel it's important that we understand this big picture. It relates to that, that um, uh, Isaiah uh, and Micah of Jesus being born to be one who rules. Jesus is both God and man, so he can defeat death and perfectly reign over this earth. We all understand that God created Adam. Adam was the first person. He was the first man. And what was Adam's purpose? It was to rule over the earth. And how did he do? He failed in his mission. And why? Because he sinned. He failed. He didn't do it. He can't rule this world in an imperfect way. He just can't do it. So, result of his sin, we all know this, is Adam's sin resulted in him spiritually dying and, of course, later physically dying. Eve as well, and all of mankind. We understand from Romans 5, it's developed very clearly there how sin is passed on from Adam to all of mankind. We're all sinners. We all spiritually die. We all then will physically die. That's what's going to happen. And not only that, but creation was corrupted by sin. Animals kill each other for food. Birds sing in a minor key. Leaves die and fall from the tree because of sin. And I could give you a thousand, ten thousand more examples of creation being corrupted by sin. So God sent Christ in Adam's place. He sent Christ, his only son, the second Adam, a perfect Adam, a perfect man to this earth. And he was the only one, two points here, listen up, only one who could save us spiritually as people from our sin and save this world from sin and death. That's what we're talking about. And number six here focuses more on point, that second point about saving the world. If we believe in Christ, well, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. This, this, this is a powerful, important section of verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 28. And we're going to look at just the first part of these verses first, and then we'll go to the second part. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Twenty to twenty-three. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. That was 2,000 years ago. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. 
but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. That last phrase, Christ at his coming, is yet future. Okay, just a couple thoughts here very simply is this. If we believe in Christ's death and resurrection, then we're saved from sin and death, and we are spiritually made alive. Okay, that's what we understand here. And at Christ's coming, talked about there in verse 23, at Christ's coming, we will physically be made alive, glorified. Further amplified on in verses 40 to 42 of the same chapter, what this glorified body is like, powerful, immortal, glorious, and spiritual body. And so, spiritually made alive because of Christ's death, resurrection, when we're born again, physically made alive at Christ's coming, when Christ comes back, that's when the rapture takes place. But what about the earth? Okay, we're talking about people. God sent Christ to save us people from sin and death, also then to save this world from sin and death. So what about this earth? Who can redeem this world from sin and from Satan? You know the verse in 1 John five nineteen. it says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Lies is present tense. The whole world, right now and from many years past, lies in the power of the evil one. As Ephesians chapter, Galatians chapter 1 says, we are living in an evil age. It's called the present evil age we live in. It's controlled by the devil. And so then, who can reverse this? Who then is able and worthy then to rule this world? And who then can break the seals and initiate this whole end time process that will then lead to Christ returning to set all things in motion? Turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 speaks of this. Revelation 5, Revelation the book is primarily about the end times and ages after that. Verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? So no one in heaven or, on earth, the earth was, or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion, that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And that's Christ. He overcame. Colossians 2, 14 and 15, which I'll not read, talks about how Christ defeated the powers of the enemy, Satan and the rulers and the authorities. Christ did that. He overcame. That's what he did. He then is able to open the seals then, which starts in chapter 6 and proceeds after that. Open the seals that get this whole end time process in going, by which then Christ will begin to take over this world and to rule in the way that he has designed from way, way back and turn to the past. So only Christ then, only Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead can then defeat the devil and can then restore and renew this earth. That's what we're talking about now. The saving of the earth, the earth, the saving of the world. First Corinthians 15, back there, this part two of this little, these few verses. This is one of my favorite sections of verses on the big picture, and I love the big picture. We must see the big picture. 24 to 28. We just talked about verse 23, the coming of Christ. This will happen at the end of this age, which isn't that far from now. That's when we become... Um, 
spiritually we receive our brand new body. So that's how that concludes. But then comes the end. Now let me just say it right up front here. End means the end of the millennial kingdom. Then comes the end of the millennial kingdom when he, Christ, hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. When? when? He has abolished all rule and all authority and a power. For he must reign during this thousand years until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also, this is at the end of the thousand years, will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. That sums up the future. This is where we're going. As believers, we're going to see all this happen. We're going to see it all happen. It'll be so wonderful. We must understand it's not just about baby Jesus. It's about the whole picture. Christ being born to save, to judge, to reign, to rule forever and ever and ever. That's what we are saying right here. Now, I will say this. It is somewhat confusing to me how all this restoration process will take place, and I will say that about every scholar I read. We don't understand it. What does it all mean? How is it going to happen, this thousand-year restoration process? We know, though, it will occur, though, when Christ is ruling this world. He's not ruling this world now. Yes, he's sovereign. Yes, he's sovereign over the world. He's sovereign over the devil, but he's not ruling like the devil is in power. He's not doing that. But then... He will be, for that thousand years, ruling over this world and restoring this earth. And this, again, is a good question. Will it be back to its original condition? And some say that. That could be true. We don't know all these answers. But we do have verses like Isaiah 65, 17, 23. talks about the lamb laying down with a lion. You have Psalm 98 talking about the mountains, the rivers clapping, and the mountains singing together for joy, the joy to the... Joy to the World song that we'll sing here in a little bit. That's talking about this second coming, reigning of Christ. That's what, it's, what it is. Christ's final act then, the culmination of, of his reign, of all his work then, is to turn the world back to the Father. That's what he's doing. And it says God is all in all. The Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. I like how John MacArthur summed up the work of Christ this way. When Jesus took the assignment of salvation from his father, Christ came to earth as a baby and lived and grew up as a man among men. He taught, preached, healed, and did miraculous works. He died, was buried, was raised, and ascended to his father, where he now intercedes for those who are his. When he returns, he'll fight conquer, rule, judge, and then as his last work on the Father's behalf forever subdue and finally judge all the enemies of God, recreate the earth and heavens, and finally deliver the kingdom to the God and the Father. I love that summary. That's wonderful. Jesus had to be both God and man to carry out this salvation process, this saving of souls from sin and death, and the saving of this world, the restoration of this world from its sin and corruption. MacArthur goes on to say, from the time of the incarnation until the time when he presents the kingdom to the Father, Christ is in the role of a servant. That is, Jesus is serving as God and man from the incarnation, from when he was born as a baby, until the end of the millennial kingdom age. That's what he's saying. 
Had to be both man, God, and man for that. But we also understand Jesus isn't going back. He's going to be man forever and ever and ever. And with that, then, he will continue his close and affectionate relationship with his Father and with each one of us. When we talk about life, one of the best summaries, we talked about God with us, Emmanuel. You could also say eternal life. That's eternal life, is that we'll be with the Lord, his Father, forever and ever. So why am I taking so much time on this sixth point? We're talking about God became man and why? Why? So we can better understand the meaning of Christmas. We celebrate Christmas here at Hope Bible Church, not just to talk about the baby Jesus, but to talk about the totality of Christ's purpose, his whole reason for coming, his first time and his second time. That's why we celebrate it. We're not here focused on baby Jesus, but we want to see the big picture that Jesus was commissioned by his Father to save man from his sin and to save the world from his sin. That's what we're saying here. And during this church age, of course, last 2,000 years ago or so, Christ has been doing just that, been saving people. And of course, as, as believers, as Christians, this is our job. We are to worship Christ, and we are to work with Christ, and we are to preach the gospel. We are to make disciples of, 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 of men. That's what we are to do. That's what God wants. Indeed, it's a, it's a wonderful life. It's a fruitful, exciting, eternal, God-glorifying life that, that we have that God has given us. But we also have hope. We have a future, a most glorious future. And how did Mary see this? Turn to Luke. You have to see this. This is important. What did Mary think? Luke chapter 1, verse, 20, verse 30 to 33. Luke chapter 1, 30 to 33. You know the story, but we need to read it. Make sure we understand a few key points here. We know the angel came to Mary, verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. So he told her, you're going to have a baby. Some people, man, I'm, she said, I'm pregnant, I'm going to have a baby. Thinking all about having this baby Jesus, raising this baby. She probably was. We have to continue, though. His name is Jesus. Jesus means, means Savior. But then we continue. He'll be great. And great is really a small word here because you could use all kinds of adjectives to describe this Messiah, this Jesus, this King. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. Most High, the Jews knew Most High. That's referring to God. This is the Son of God. He's the Son of Man, but he's the Son of God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Mary knew precisely what that meant. That was 1 Samuel 7, Davidic Covenant. She knew the Messiah would come from the line of David. She knew she was from the line of David. She knew the angel was here and said, you then are going to be the mother of this Son of Man, the Son of God. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Do you see what I'm saying about we can't just focus on little baby Jesus? You must see the picture where we're at now. He came to save us. He's coming to reign over us forever and ever and ever. This is it. This is how she thought. The angel told Mary this, and who told the angel what to tell Mary? God. God wants us to know this right here, this big picture. That's what I'm stressing. That's what I'm saying. We need to have this hope. We must see this, see where we're at and where we're going, what God has in store for us. And so as Christians then, 
we're working with Christ now. Don't know all the details. During the millennial kingdom, and this relates to the rewards that we will receive, but we'll be working with Christ and reigning with Christ. It says that in Revelation 5.10, also in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Reigning with Christ, working with him, helping him restore this earth back to the original design. Now that'll be something, won't it? I mean, you think about your life now, here for 70, 80, 90 years or so, you've got a great future. And then you'll be perfect. Then you'll be glorified. I mean, it'll be wonderful to serve and worship, work with the Lord in that way. And so now, though, I'm very close to this age. We've talked about this a lot at this church, that time when Christ returns to rapture the church, judge this world, and begin his thousand-year reign, and begin then this restoration process. I love what First Chronicles 12 32 says, as an example to us, the men of Issachar understood the times and they knew what they should do. And as we as Christians, we need to understand the times. We need to understand the world we live in. And let me say something. You all know that this is a messed up world. I have seen things go down so badly in the last few years. I just can't believe it. It is astonishing. It seems that God has let some of the demons loose on this earth, not just here in this country, all over. And we got a lot more to say next year on the world. I'm going to talk about some things about the world and how it relates to us and what we are to do. We have to know where things are at. We need to understand the times and the world we live in and know what we are to do. And bottom line, bottom line, we're to love God, right? And we'll love one another. That's it. And to live for God. That's it. And we're to do then the work that God wants us to do. Specifically, I, I love this verse here, 1 Peter 4, 10, 11. Each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the grace of God. When you get to heaven, you'll be held accountable. Did you use the gifts that God gave you? It's not a matter of what kind of gifts you have, but you all have spiritual gifts. Use them. Use them. Do the work that God wants you to do. That's what we are saying right here. Okay, most importantly, why did Jesus become man? Most importantly, the most important reason is the last reason. Jesus is both God and man so that he and his Father can be greatly glorified. God knew that much more glory would be given to him and his Son through this whole process of Jesus being born, of Jesus being a man, of Jesus being a Savior, of Jesus being the shepherd of the church, of Jesus being the judge of this world, of Jesus being the king of this world and reigning forever. That's why. Okay? I don't understand it all, but that's the truth. More glory. Because that's the most important thing, right? Glory. <clears throat> Excuse me, given to God. I want to read um, <coughs> excuse me, a couple of verses here to close here. Psalm 72 is a kingdom psalm. A little bit Solomonic, a little bit of Solomon there. Some might say David. But there's no doubt that the words written in Psalm 72 are speaking of the future. They can't be speaking of what happened in Solomon. They just cannot. They're speaking of the future. So this is how we conclude Psalm 72. Remember, it's a millennial kingdom psalm. How does it conclude? 18 and 19. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and may the whole 
earth be filled with his glory, amen and amen. The whole earth be filled with his glory forever and ever, amen. Get it? Pretty simple. Okay, last few verses. Take it back to what's most important, John 17. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you gave, have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Glory to the Father and the Son. And we will be there. Can't wait. I'll be together. We'll be there and millions, not billions others, angels and saints worshiping the Lord together. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time. We just thank you for your truth. The truth that, Jesus, you became a man. And you're now a man. You're up in heaven, and you're praying for us, and you're watching us, and you love us, and, and you're working on our behalf, and we thank you for that, and you can't wait to see us. And, Lord, also we know that, that uh, it won't be long before we will see you, and we look forward to that. We look forward to, Lord, that time being with you and, and, and worshiping you and working with you and reigning with you and fellowshipping and with one another here. It's so important we see this picture. You became a man so that you could be with us and so you could be with us forever and ever, with us here on this earth, not through the Holy Spirit, but then physically and forever with us in the future, and we bless you for that. Lord, I just pray you'd help us. All of us at times have different struggles and temptations or difficulties or problems or trials, and, and, and you design them. You allow them. Sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we hurt. Sometimes it's hard to keep going, but just help us, Lord, to keep working for you. And we know you give us all the grace. You give us all the spirit we need, the Holy Spirit we need. You give us one another. You give us our church, but help us then to keep living for you and to be looking forward to being with you. Have us, help us to have this faith and this love, but also this hope of the future that you have for us. We bless you now. But thank you again for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for being with us. We want to commit all this to you now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.